0: I had spent my, my childhood in the Dakotas, and then in middle school, moved to the Chicago area, the Chicago suburbs. And, and uh, when I moved to Chicago, then, I uh, wound up with a number of friends who were uh, Catholic. In fact, because I moved to Chicago when I was in middle school, uh, I had a number of kids ask me in my school, "So is your dad a priest?" I like, "Well, and in typical junior high fashion, I said, "Well, if he is, he's not a very good one. He has four kids." So <laughs> but in talking with my Catholic friends, they had explained to me that the process of sainthood in the Catholic Church, um, and if, you know, if this is your religious background, you might be familiar with that, but that was, that was new to me, and so I, I found it interesting. So to become a saint in the Catholic Church, there's kind of like a 10-step process. Number one, you've got to be Catholic, kind of makes sense. Number two, you've got to die, so that's kind of interesting. Number three, after you die, a a local devotion grows up around your memory. So people, you know, uh, kind of admire the life that you live. Uh, Number four, then your life gets investigated. Number five, a local bishop sends your case to the Vatican. So um, after that happens, number six, then people begin to pray for a miracle to happen kind of around the area in which you ministered. And then, seven, the Vatican investigates the miraculous case, you know, if that miracle happened. And number eight, if that happens, then the Vatican declares this person as blessed. And then, number nine, they pray for another miracle. And if that happens, number 10, you're a saint. So that's the process of sainthood in the Catholic Church. But, but my question for us this morning is this what Scripture would have to say? Is this how we become saints? As we continue in our message series in the New Testament book of Ephesians today, we're seeking to answer the question, Who are we in this series? And as part of our message today, we're going to discover how it is we become saints, how that happens. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. If you're new to Connection Point, we say that because we want you in God's Word. And it's just a weekly reminder. Man, we need to be in the Word of God. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, there's one underneath the chair in front of you. You're welcome to use that. Uh, We'll read Scripture aloud today We'll find value in that, declaring God's Word, so you can borrow that one. If you don't have a Bible at home, take it home with you. In fact, so let me say this, we're going to be replacing those Bibles, we want to get some hard case ones, so let me say this. I would love for you to take those Bibles home with you, have one in your car, put one in your workplace, give one to a neighbor, so use these Bibles. So. You are, I'm encouraging you to steal Bibles today. So feel free to take one out with you when you leave today. That'd be great. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We are going to be in Ephesians. Last week we covered one verse in 50 minutes. We've got 14 today. Good news is only two points, but that means nothing. So we're going to be in Ephesians. So if you're in your New Testament books, you need to go to the New Testament. It's near the back. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Keep going. Romans. Actually, Acts first, right? Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, then Ephesians. There you go. If you got to Philippians or Colossians, you went too far. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, first 14 verses today. And here's what Paul the Apostle writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There's a lot in there. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So the New Testament book of Ephesians, the book that we're in for some months, it opens with Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Jesus. Paul was a first century follower of Jesus. He was not one of the original 12 disciples, but he became a follower of Jesus after Jesus died, was resurrected, and ascended to heaven. He was an apostle. Apostles established a church where it doesn't exist. Paul traveled the ancient world, preaching the gospel, making disciples and planning churches. This is who this man is. Paul's understood to be the Holy Spirit-inspired author of 13 books in the New Testament. Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and others. Acts chapter 13 through 28, they describe his missionary journeys. Paul was initially an unbeliever. He persecuted Christians, even murdered them. We would classify Paul as a terrorist today. Paul the terrorist. But then he had an encounter with resurrected Jesus and his life was forever changed. Having lived in the Middle East, uh, it is amazing to watch people that we would label as terrorists become followers of Jesus. And what I love about it is these people who are radical for some other cause become radical for Jesus and there's no stopping them. And we see that for Paul too. He went from Paul the terrorist killer of Christians, to Paul the Apostle, planter of churches. And he did it all across the Roman world. It's understood Paul would walk about 20 miles a day on his missionary journeys. This guy was serious about making disciples. Yeah. How committed are we? Like, if we didn't have a parking lot and you had to park at Walmart and walk over, would it like, I'll be over. <laughs> I hope not, right? <laughs> The pattern for Paul is he would enter into major cities and he would preach. He would confront lostness and sin and because people feel like they have to defend their idols or the way they want to live their lives, oftentimes he was not treated well. He was beaten repeatedly, left for dead, shipwrecked, adrift on the open sea. Paul himself said, I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. Which means if we saw him, We would see a man covered in scars from the beatings he endured for being a faithful witness of Jesus. Some of his letters, including Ephesians, they were written while he was in jail. This guy even uses jail time for Jesus. I love that. Uh, So we find Paul pulling into Ephesus on one of his missionary journeys. It's it's detailed in Acts chapter 19. And what we know of Ephesus is it was a magnificent city, kind of like a Chicago in our day. Uh, so here's a, a picture of our family. We were there like eight years ago. So this is like two years before we came to Connection Point Church. Look at those cute little kids. Where did they go? <laughs> but the ruins there are magnificent. It really is. It's, it's actually one of the, the, the best archaeological digs in our time. It's a neat place to visit. Ephesus at the time of Paul, it was a, a city of approximately a quarter of a million people. It was a big city for that day. It had a harbor, It was an important part of the system of the Roman roads in that area. It was a major baking center with the temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a place of demonism and and divination, which is why the book of Ephesians, it talks a lot about powers, principalities, and spirits, more than any other book in the New Testament, because this was a big issue in in Ephesians, in, in Ephesus. And so they talk about this. The Ephesians were highly spiritual people, but they were not worshipers of the one true God. I think there's an interesting corollary in our day. When Paul showed up in Ephesus, he found a few people who had heard about Jesus, but they had not been discipled. So he baptized them in water in the name of Jesus, and then he prays for them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which they were. And then Paul proceeds to preach in the synagogue for several months. Eventually, he moves into the Hall of Tyrannus, equipping disciple makers and training church planners who went all throughout Asia Minor planting the church. So that's why we put this map up on the screen. From Ephesus, what happens? They go to Ephesus. They go to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae. We have the book of Colossians. All of these cities were evangelized. Churches were planted because Paul stayed in Ephesus and trained people. This was the work of Ephesians. This is what Paul was doing in Ephesus. Another thing that happens there as you read through Acts chapter 19 is that so many people, I love this, so many people were becoming followers of Jesus, the idol worship or the making of idols, that industry was impacted. I love that in Acts chapter 19. So there's a silversmith called Demetrius. What he does is he basically stirs up all the silversmiths to say, basically, so many people are becoming Christians, like we're losing our income. How many can say, praise Jesus? My idol makers lose our income. You know, but they basically stir up a riot in the town stadium. So here's a picture of that stadium. It is huge, massive, could seat upwards of 25,000 people. So Paul's there for a riot in that stadium. And shortly after that town riot, Paul leaves Ephesus, he travels to Macedonia. And when Paul traveled, he would sometimes stay in a place for days, weeks, months, or years. And we know that for Ephesus, Paul stayed for about three years and highly impacted that place. And at some point, Paul's in prison again. (laughs) He's writing the believers in Ephesus. And now here's my question with all of this as our background. In light of his circumstances, where do you think Paul should start when he starts this letter? You know, oftentimes it comes to a letter, we we just kind of run past the beginning, to, from, okay, you you know, you just kind of keep reading. But I want to slow down a minute and think this morning, where should Paul start? Where would you start? You've spent three years investing your life in this community. You're now in jail. What are you going to say? Last week, I mentioned that one of the things Paul is doing in this letter is he's helping believers establish their identity. More than 30 times in various ways, Paul uses in Christ, in him, in the beloved. We read a bunch of those this morning. So that's at least one of the initial things Paul's doing. He wants believers to know their identity. So he starts with in Christ. So did anybody have time last week to start going through Ephesians and underlining in Christ? I won't have you raise your hands, but I hope so. But let me say this, if you didn't do it last week, do it this week. Yeah. Read one chapter a day in Ephesians, underline in Christ, and we can add to those underlines today. I'll mention that at the end. It's worth your time to do it. You'll be encouraged. Your, your faith will be strengthened. It really will. And so we know that Paul starts with in Christ, but there's even more than that. But it's important we understand that we're in Christ. That's a good start. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to explain what it then means to be in Christ. And that's what the rest of these months are about as we're in this book, is is what does it mean that we're in Christ? Well, it means that we are saints. It means that we're saints. If you were going to explain yourself to someone, if someone came up to you and said, tell me about yourself, maybe you'd start with certain aspects of your life. I'm a teacher, I'm married, I have kids, I'm retired, I'm an engineering major at Purdue. And those things may explain you, but they don't define you. Maybe you have a friend or family member who who leans in but asks further, no, I I wanna know as a Christian, what does it mean when you tell me you're a Christian and you're a part of a church? If you were gonna sit down and type out an email, where would you start? How would you explain to someone how God sees you? How would you do that? And, And this matters because where you start, it sets everything else up. So I wanna read the beginning again this morning. Paul writes, Paul, An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So Paul writes to who? To the saints. To the saints who are in Ephesus. I don't know about you. I'm not sure I'd start there. But it turns out if we're in Christ, we're saints. That's what Paul is saying. Uh, but let's think about this. Do we think the church in Ephesus was perfect? A church full of perfect people, right? Nobody ever gossiped. Everybody showed up for prayer meetings. People walking around with halos. They radiated the glory of the Lord. Like perfect. Do we think that was the case? no. I don't think so. Now, for sure, I'm sure there was people who were dedicated to following Jesus, but in the end, we know we're all a work in progress. And so Paul, he looks at the whole church, every one of them, and he says, your saints, your saints. I love that he starts there. To the saints who are in Christ Jesus. So here's a question this morning. I want us to think about this and how we've maybe approached Christianity sometimes. Is a Christian's identity primarily that of sinner or saint? Where should we start? Where does Paul start? Saint. Paul doesn't start out. Dear sinners, guilty people, horrible human beings... Vile kindling for the fire. <laughs> That's not where he starts. He starts with saint. That's where he starts. But I can understand why we may have a hard time with this, especially if you're from a Catholic background where sainthood is a process. But for Paul, as he writes the believers in Ephesus, he starts with saint. Now, this doesn't mean you should go into work tomorrow and now start asking everyone to call you Saint. I'm Saint Zach. Hi, I'm Saint Jeff. I'm sure they'll find some other name to call you if you do that. (laughs) But according to Scripture, for us to be saints, only one thing is required, to be in Christ. For Paul, sainthood is not a result of something wonderful that you've accomplished. Or is it erased by something horrible you've done? According to him, being a saint only requires one step in Christ. So are you in Christ? If you are, you're a saint. Do you believe that this morning? But maybe this statement is still difficult for you today. Because some of us have thought that the more sinful we think we are, the closer we are to God. The more that we focus on our sin, the more pleased God is with us. But what we need to understand this morning is this God is not honored when we think much of ourselves. We kind of know that. But at the same time, God is not honored when we condemn ourselves. God is not honored through self-esteem or self-condemnation. Both are off. God is honored. He is glorified when our thoughts and our focus is on Jesus Christ. That's when he's honored. Our identity cannot be on how much we love ourselves or hate ourselves, but in who Jesus is and what he's done. That's the foundation. Our identity has to keep coming back to being in Christ. It has to keep coming back to that. And if you are in Christ because of what Christ has done and the decision you've made to follow him, you are a saint. I'm I'm just going to declare that over you today. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus because you are in Christ, you're a saint today. But it also means if you're not in Christ, BECAUSE YOU'VE NOT MADE A DECISION TO FOLLOW JESUS. YOU ARE LABELED A SINNER. SCRIPTURE IS CLEAR ON THAT, TOO. BUT I ALSO WANT TO SAY TO YOU THIS MORNING, IF THAT'S WHERE YOU FIND YOURSELF, THAT IS NOT GOD'S WILL FOR YOUR LIFE. IT IS SO CLEAR IN SCRIPTURE, HIS WILL IS THAT NONE SHOULD PERISH, HE SAYS. HIS WILL IS FOR YOU TO BE A SAINT IN CHRIST. AND WHEN A PERSON MEETS JESUS, EVERYTHING CHANGES. WE RECEIVE A NEW NATURE. Paul writes another church, the church in in Corinth, and he tells them they've become a new creation, that old things have passed away and all things have become new. So here's the good news this morning. If you are in Christ, you are not just a guilty, wicked, vile sinner who's forgiven. That is not your identity. You are a new creation in Christ with a new identity and a new story and a new eternity. That's who you are. All things have become new. Some of you might say, well, I don't feel that way. Maybe that's because you've never understood your life in Christ this way. But once we start to understand how God sees us, then we can start to sometimes feel how God sees us. So we want you to understand it this morning so you can start to live in it today. Maybe another way to think about it Is this way, that that sin may explain some of our activity, but it does not define our entire identity in Christ. We may sin some of the time, but we are saints all of the time in Christ. A Christian is one who has saint as their constant identity and sinner as their occasional activity. As a sinner, we may have a dark past, but as a saint, we have a bright future in Christ. That's the difference today. And some of us are stuck because our primary identity is in our sin and not in our Savior. We're unable to move beyond our past because of shame, guilt, and condemnation. But if we're in Christ, God has forgiven us. God has forgiven us today. We don't make declarations like, well, God can forgive me, but I just can't forgive myself. Of course you can't. Nobody can forgive themselves. You're not God. Only God can do that. He forgives us and we live on as saints. In Christ, we don't just give our sin to Jesus and go to heaven when we die with no help in between. That's not it. In Christ, God forgives us. We receive our new identity in Jesus. We start to live a new life in Christ and then we enjoy eternity with God. Jesus. Has made it possible for us to live as saints but i do want to also be clear this morning he does give us the responsibility of doing the living as saints he doesn't do that for us we do have a personal responsibility to live as saints the holy spirit gives us the power to overcome sin and evil but we must walk in obedience to the expectations of jesus so there is a partnership that's going on here. So our, our family was out with one of our, our church families last night on their family farm, and, and driving back, we were watching the farmers out in the fields bringing in the harvest. LED lights, like I actually had never seen that, six years of living in this community. Like they are farming all the time. Harvest time, you gotta be out in the fields. But here's what, here's what I know, and I want us to think about it maybe this way today, because Whether you're a farmer or not, I think you can understand this, that our local farmers, they plow their fields, they sow their seed, they fertilize and cultivate, all the while knowing they are utterly dependent on forces outside of themselves. They know they cannot cause the seed to germinate, nor can they produce the rain and sunshine for growing and harvesting the crop. For a successful harvest, farmers are dependent on these things from God. Yet the farmer also knows that unless he or she diligently pursues their responsibilities to plow, plant, fertilize, and cultivate, they cannot expect to harvest at the end of season. In a sense, farmers are in a partnership with God, and they will reap its benefits only when they have fulfilled their own responsibilities. Farming is a joint venture between God and farmer. The farmer cannot do what God must do and God will not do what the farmer should do. That's so good. We can say just as accurately that living as a saint is a joint venture between God and us. Okay. No one can attain any degree of sainthood without God working in their life. But just as surely, no one will attain it without effort on their own part. Yeah. Is this making sense this morning? Yeah. To this end... I want to say this. We shouldn't pray for victory when we know we should be acting in obedience. Right? We shouldn't just pray for victory when we know we should just be acting in obedience to what God has already told us. Instead of simply being concerned with our own victory over sin, how about we walk in obedience to God? Here's why this matters. Obedience is oriented toward God. Victory is oriented toward us. As saints we should have a desire to walk in obedience to Christ's commands of loving God and loving others, telling people about him so that they can experience new life too. So if you are in Christ, you are a saint. I wanna remind us of that this morning. Your primary identity is not that of a sinner. Because if your primary identity is sinner and you're tempted to sin, then your identity will determine your activity. Well, I'm a sinner, so I guess I'm going to sin. No, wrong. We are saints. That's our starting point. Our starting point's not sinner. So by the Holy Spirit, we're called to live as saints. We are new creation. We don't have to go back to old ways. We are genuinely new, and we can walk in obedience to Christ's commands. The decisions we make and the way we live are meant to be in Christ. Amen? We don't have to be stuck thinking, "I can't change," or "I can change myself." No. Instead, we can change in Christ we can resist temptation in Christ. We can be obedient in Christ. We can be righteous in Christ. Now for sure, saints are remorseful over sin. As the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and commends us to righteousness, just as Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would, it's good for us to feel remorse over sin, to confess it, to repent of it, and to believe in Jesus' forgiveness and cleansing from it. So, for sure, as saints, we're remorseful over sin. But when it comes to sin, there is a difference between conviction and condemnation. Yeah. Two very different things. I want to explain the difference this morning. Conviction is from God, condemnation is from Satan. Yeah. Conviction leads to life and life everlasting, I want to remind us this morning. Yeah. Condemnation leads to despair. Conviction ends in joy, yeah. condemnation ends. In sorrow. Conviction makes us want to change. Condemnation makes us believe we can't. Conviction leads us to a new identity in Christ, but condemnation leaves us in our old identity in sin. Conviction is a blessing, but condemnation's condemnation is a burden. So Satan wants your identity to be in your sin. I want to be clear on that this morning. That's where he would like your identity to reside. He wants you to have no hope for your future, He wants to shame and condemn you. And because of Satan's influence in your life, some of you might be feeling like God is far away. He's he's angry. He's mad. And so then you're worried and anxious and discouraged right now. But let me tell you, God is a good father. I love that that was a testimony this morning. God is good. God is good. He's a father who approaches his sons and daughters, maybe living in sin, and he just says, "I, I see this in your life but I want you to know I love you. What you're doing is harmful for you and others and for my relationship with you. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna help you, we're gonna do this together. That's the way God approaches us. God is a good dad who hugs you, he smiles at you, puts his arm around you, and he helps to walk you away from sin and evil in your life. And when God does that, that's conviction. He's got your best interests in mind always always so conviction is different from condemnation jesus said he would send the holy spirit to convict people of their sin why because he wants us to live for him as saints and then paul says in romans 8 1 now there is no condemnation for those who are in christ conviction and condemnation two very different things is the holy spirit convicting you of things in your life I would encourage you, if that's the case, just partner with God. Let him continue to clean up the mess of your life. The Holy Spirit is so good at that. He wants to do it. And if you're tempted to sin, remember this: You're a saint. You're a saint. Knowing your identity in Christ, that's your key to victory. It really is if you're feeling condemned this morning, no, that's not from the Lord. So simply approach God and ask for forgiveness and live confidently knowing he has done that, that he has forgiven you because there's no condemnation in Christ. In Christ, who are we? We're saints, we're saints. But what kind of saints are we? Well, it turns out we are blessed saints. We are blessed saints. Our passage from this morning relates to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, in Christ, we are saints and we are blessed. We already talked a bit about Ephesus this morning, about the the temple of Artemis and how this was a very spiritual area that Paul was ministering in. In fact, because of Paul's influence, Scripture tells us the Ephesian believers renounced their former spiritual practices to the point where they burned magical scrolls valued at 50,000 days wages. In today's terms, that's millions of dollars. Like they burnt, they said, we are so devoted to Christ, we will get rid of everything else. But I want us to think about, why did they even have these other things? Why did they have these scrolls? They were efforts to get God to bless them. These were their efforts to do it. And we also see that this can even continue today in our own circles. Sometimes we live for Jesus and do certain things because we think we can manipulate God and he'll bless us. But can I correct that thinking this morning? Here's some good news. God is good. He's just good. You don't have to try to make God bless you. He's gonna do it. If you are in Christ, God blesses you. He's already gonna do it. We read last week in Genesis chapter one that God created Adam and Eve. And I pointed out, it says, and he blessed them. Isn't that amazing? Right at creation. He blesses his creation because God delights in blessing. God gives good gifts to his children. He is generous towards us. And as we look at verses 3 to 14 from our passage today, we find God blesses us in some really wonderful ways. First of all, I'd like to point out that verses 3 to 14, they are all one sentence in the original Greek. So, English majors, eat your heart out. Two hundred and two words in one sentence. Isn't that awesome? Yes. And the big idea holds it all together is we're blessed. We are blessed. We are blessed. First of all, what we find in this is that we're blessed in Christ. Again, that's our identity, in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We find in these first 14 verses, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is there. So the first blessing that we receive as followers of Jesus is God himself. That's the first blessing we get. Basically, Paul is saying, bless God who gives us God. Bless him, because he gave us himself. And I know that we may approach God sometimes in prayer saying, God, here are all the things I want from you. All of these blessings that I need from you. And for sure, a car is great, spouse is great, health is great, job is great. But here's the greatest gift we've ever been given, God himself. Greatest gift we've ever been given. A car is great. God's better. Health is great. God's better. Friends are great. God's better. God gives us God. And this is why Paul is so excited because God gave us himself. Some of you might say, well, I don't see this blessing. I'm not feeling blessed at the unemployment office. I'm not feeling blessed in my dumpy apartment. I'm not feeling blessed on the bus. I got so desperate, I looked under my seat for blessing and all I found was old gum. (laughs) But I want us to notice here that Paul says, the blessing is in heavenly places. Some of our blessing, I wanna be clear this morning, some of our blessing does come in this life. Shelley and I have been incredibly blessed as followers of Jesus. Some of your blessing does come here, but I never want us to mistake the fact that most of our blessing is for the hereafter. Much of our blessing is waiting for us there. And it's not because God is withholding it from us, it's just that he wants us to enjoy those blessings with him forever. Everything here will perish. Everything there was everlasting. So where do we really want our blessings to be stored up, right? Not really here. We need them in the right place. For the believer, I've mentioned this before, this life is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. And some of you are like, and I feel like I've experienced that lately. (laughs) But here's the greater challenge. For the unbeliever, this life is as close to heaven as you're ever going to get. For the believer, most of your blessings await you forever. For the unbeliever, there's no blessing awaiting for you there. Paul is excited about the heavenly blessings awaiting him. And I want us to remember where Paul is writing this letter. He's in prison and I don't know about you, but if I'm writing a letter from prison, I'm not sure I'm excited about the blessings of God in that moment. To the saints of Connection Point Church, I'm in prison and it smells here. That's the letter you're gonna get. (laughs) But not Paul. No, he declares, Bless God who's blessed us from prison. And he's so excited, he doesn't have time for punctuation. So i want us to understand the secret of his excitement this morning you know what it is i narrow it down to three things in paul's life number one he kept a long view on life he understood we are eternal we are eternal i still have a rope in the trunk of my car from cliff ivy because i've used this illustration i didn't feel like i should use it again but i would bring this rope and i would extend it way out i pretended like it was in the parking lot it was just off in the storage room somewhere But I had colored on the end, if this is our life, this is our life forever. Because we have to keep the long view in mind. How do we remain excited about the blessings of Lord in this life when things aren't great? We keep a long view on life, that's number one. Second thing is, we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. And we do that in two very important ways. We abide daily in his word and in prayer. And we stay connected to the church. I will say this, I have been concerned in the last year, how many people have chosen to become disconnected from the church? That's problematic. You can't continue to bless God and understand you're blessed by Him if that's the response when things get hard. And of course, that's the enemy, right? Two things. Keep a long view on life. Stay connected to the local church. Third thing is this. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. So I gave you home fun last week of read a chapter of Ephesians every day. Underline in Christ... This week, you can add to that, underline in Christ, underline saint, underline blessed. You're going to be really strengthened and encouraged by the time we're going through this, right? Are you seeing that? Yeah. You should see who we are in Christ. It's incredible. But here's the other thing I want you to do this week. Get out a piece of paper, get out a journal, grab your smartphone, open up notes, start to count your blessings this week. Name them one by one. That's a wonderful old song. And as you do, now I'm trying to, like that song's starting to flow in my mind, that's it's going to throw me off this morning. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. But you can. not Write those down, and you will be encouraged. You will be so encouraged. And as you do those three things, watch as your faith is strengthened. So take time this week and do it. Write them down. God, thank you for my loving spouse. Thank you for amazing kids. Thank you for fall colors. I hope they're coming, right? <laughs> Lord, thank you for Carl that works. There's so many blessings. Start to write them down. Because in Christ, we are blessed saints. We are blessed saints. I'm going to invite you to stand. I figured week by week, we need to make some declarations. Last week, we talked about, I asked the question, who are you? And you gave answer. But I just want to keep it simple as we work through and to kind of help reinforce as we cover these messages. So this morning, as I ask who you are, we can say, in Christ, I'm a blessed saint. So who are you in Christ? Christ. And I want to say that's an important part because it's because we're in him. We're blessed saints in Christ. We are blessed saints. What I want to close with this morning and we're going to close in song is there is a reality of if you're not in Christ, then that means you're in Adam. Adam. We talked a lot about this last week, and if you missed that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's a message of I am in Christ. You can find it at connectionpointchurch.org. So go back and listen to that message. It's so important. I talked a lot about there's two categories of people in this world. Either you are in Christ or you are in Adam. Those are the two categories. Either we are living under the effects of what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden, or we're now living a part of the new creation in Christ. Where do you find yourself this morning? Because we're all born into Adam as sinners, and then we have this incredible opportunity to be born again in Christ. From Adam, we inherit an evil nature, separation from God, and spiritual death. But from Jesus, his sacrificial death, supernatural resurrection, and his ascension, we can be made spiritually alive born again into his new creation filled with the Holy Spirit who then changes us from the inside out. So as we close today, it's important to understand either you are living as a blessed saint in Christ or you're living as a cursed sinner in Adam. You think that's that's strong language. I'm not doing any favors to tell you anything different. I want us to understand this morning there's these very clear two categories and I so desperately want you to live in Christ. It is God's desire. We're living as blessed saints. It's so strong. But there is this pull for the enemy for you to live as a cursed sinner. So I want to invite you today as we close in song and as you're standing, everyone in the room, I just want to invite you to bow your heads for a moment. This is a moment between me and you personally if you're hearing this today and if you're online tim is there moderating online and he's ready to talk to you as well but today do you realize that you've been living in adam but you're ready to live in christ it's a decision that's before all of us you've been born into adam but now you're ready to be born again in christ so that you can live forever with him and instead of being a curse sinner live as a blessing that's you today I just want to invite you to raise your hand as you saying you know what this is my decision moment I know it goes for more than this but this is my opportunity to say I want to live in Christ so who here today would say that's me I want to live in Christ I don't want to just live in Adam who here today would say that's me in Christ over here on the left anybody else here on the right, anybody else? Jesus, I just pray right now for each and every one in this room. I pray that we would start to live as blessed saints in Christ. Lord, if we have already made that decision to follow you, may we start to live in that identity. That when temptation comes, we say, I'm a saint, and so I can live in victory in Christ. God, I pray that you'd equip and strengthen every one of us for that purpose. God, for those that raise their hands, I just pray, Jesus, that you pour out your spirit upon them. Holy Spirit, invade their hearts. Fill them with more of you, God. May it crowd out everything else. Jesus, I just pray that that decision they've made, it wouldn't be just something they keep to themselves, but they share it with others so that we can walk with them, And Lord, as we close in song, may we dedicate ourselves to you for you are worthy, Jesus. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. As we're closing in song, if you raised your hand, there was a couple people that did. If if you're a prayer team member and you saw that person raise their hand, I just encourage you to come alongside and, and invite them to have a conversation. So here's what's so important to me. I know the enemy wants to steal anything that God wants to do in your life. So if you've made that decision, I also know the enemy is going to come against that decision. And so the way that we come against that is in community. So if you raise your hand, don't be intimidated by a prayer team member coming to talk with you. If nobody comes and talks with you, Shelly and I are right up here up front. We'll stand up here and you can come and talk with us. We'll pray with you. We'll give you a Bible and talk about what it looks like to walk in Jesus, to journey with him for a lifetime. But for the rest of us, let's make sure to close in song and dedicate this to him.